It's 11.14 p.m. Your innocent Google search for climbing training started two hours ago. And what started as a quick search to learn how to get better has turned into an odyssey of epic proportions. Because the first article you read seemed great, but it didn't agree with the next one. Or the next one. You're growing wary and confused. Every coach has a different name for everything. The terms are a labyrinth designed for despair. Power endurance, strength endurance, drag grip, crimp grip. I mean, what is all this shit? And should you start using a hangboard? Because no one seems to agree on that either. And somehow it seems your innocent desire to improve your training will require blood and sweat and doing something torturous every night of the week. And why are there so many ab workouts to do when you just wanted to go rock climbing anyway? It's madness pure madness and here you are spending time making 1000 little confusing decisions instead of getting anything done but perhaps there is another way if you're ready to stop the madness and get a training plan that actually works for you and your schedule then check out crush it there's one for boulders and one for sport climbers and these self-guided training plans allow you to tailor your training to your schedule and goals no madness required. Head on over to the show notes to learn more about the Crush It programs and start training today. Are you currently locked out of your house? Well, Gnarly Nutrition can help you with that, but they can help you get the most out of your athletic endeavors by providing you with high quality and tasty sports nutrition products. As someone who likes to do a lot of moving, having Gnarly Supplements to back me up is a pretty huge deal. When I'm eight days on and I'm trying to train for climbing after ski touring, Gnarly products like their pre-workout and creatine give me a little extra boost to keep me doing a reckless amount of physical activity. Gnarly is a proud sponsor of the Average Climber podcast. You can check out the wide range of Gnarly products over at gonarly.com. On today's episode, Lauren walks through some of your biggest questions about none other than hangboarding. We're going to talk about the ins and outs of why the hell we care about hangboarding. We'll go through some quick jargon just to fill you in and also talk through some of Lauren's favorite ways to get started. So with that, we hope you enjoy the episode on the Average Climber Podcast. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning, Lauren. <laughs> How are you? I think this is the world record for the earliest we've ever recorded a podcast. That's true. and But the fact of the matter is we're not hungover, so that's fine. Yeah, I'm not. Maybe you are. I don't know. It's Wednesday. I'm not hungover. <laughs> no, I have a docket of coaching calls today. Gotta be <laughs> fresh and ready to go. But are you ready for an early morning fun fact to start your day? I 
I really honestly am. This is the part that I genuinely look forward to. I, I'm not going to say most, but it's high up. Yeah, there. This, is, this is a good. Well, I just made up a song in my head. So before I get to the fun fact, I'm going to sing the song. The best <laughs> part of waking up is learning stupid stuff. Okay, now <laughs> it's time for the fun. I just spilled coffee on my leg. This is a catastrophe. Why do I have to dance? No one can see my morning I can coffee see you. dance. You can see me. That's good. Okay, but now I'll tell you the fun fact. So did you know? This is this is shout out my good friend Andy. He told me this and it's hysterical. Apparently, Louis Vuitton will send Gucci bags to celebrities that they think are tacky to cheapen Gucci's brand. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ruthless. That there's your fat. Yep. So <laughs> I'm over here like, okay, well, wait a minute. So that's petty because they must clearly be threatened by Gucci and they're like, well, hey, I want a movie with Lady Gaga in it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> accurate. But also, are we surprised <laughs> that fashion among celebrities is a little petty sometimes? Truly no, but no, that is it... hilariously bizarre. I, I know. I, I want to hear some some more fashion facts. So if anybody has that. Please do yeah. uh, submit those. <laughs> I know we should we should keep that rolling. I do love learning. Yeah, the drama, the drama of marketing—it's hysterical, but amazing. <laughs> sweet. Well, should we talk about rocks today? Or or well, we're not talking uh, about rocks today. No, we're talking about <laughs> not rocks today. We're talking about rock adjacent things. Rock adjacent. <laughs> All Excellent. right. Do you want to tell <laughs> Let's them what we're talking it. about? Yeah. Well, so today we are talking about hangboarding. Hangboarding. Lauren asked everyone on her Instagram what you know what what they're struggling with with hangboards because believe it or not they're really weird and confusing and a strange you know wooden carved or plastic thing that we hang up on a door frame. It it's really it not can, as simple as we think. It, but in some ways. It is. It is. So we'll <laughs> talk about make what's simple. simple about it. Yes, we're going to make it simple and hopefully dispel some of the confusion. But before we get into it, hello, listeners. I am Lauren. <laughs> I'm a climbing coach and certified personal trainer. This is Caitlin. Caitlin, you want to introduce yourself? Then we'll tell them what our podcast is. <laughs> I'm Caitlin. I am a certified nutrition specialist, and I work with climbers and a lot of other athletes on improving their overall health and also performance. Great. And if you didn't figure it out by whatever button you clicked to get here, this <laughs> is the Average Climber Podcast. Welcome. Surprise. Right. <laughs> Surprise. If you're like, I, I clicked cereal. I didn't want this at all. <laughs> Spotify messes up a lot. I wouldn't be surprised. But you're here and you're going to learn about hangboarding and you can do your journalism later. <laughs> get ready. Okay. So... All right, Caitlin, where sh where to begin? Tell me where to start. I could talk all day about it. This is probably going to well, be a two-parter, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot to say. Uh, well, can you just kind of tell our listeners <laughs> and me, what the <laughs> hell is the point of hangboarding? Why do we do it? Please inform us. <laughs> cool. Okay. So hangboarding is a training tool that we can use um, for a variety of you know, things we can use hangboarding to, and we'll kind of dig into like exactly how you would do all this later in the episode, but you can use hangboarding for a variety of reasons. So you could use it to 
strengthen your fingers, which is probably what you already knew. You can also use it for endurance, which I don't always recommend because it can be boring. Um, and also there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. And you can also use it for contact strength or grip power, if you will. So I'll kind of dig into all of that, but there are a variety of uses for hangboards. And as a coach and at the reason that other coaches really like hangboarding, it's because you can control it, right? With climbing, uh, not that we don't love climbing, but there's kind of all of these elements going on at once. So it's really hard to sort of isolate certain things to get stronger fingers in your climbing, right? Because if I told you, like, let's say we didn't have hangboards and I was like, um, to get you stronger fingers, I just want you to climb on crimpy boulders for three months and then we'll test your crimp strength at the beginning and we'll test your crimp strength at the end of the three months. And I guess I just want you to climb on crimpy boulders for 40 minutes a week or yeah, 40 minutes a session twice a week. And then, you know, you'd maybe you'd see some gains, right? But there's not really a good way to like control yeah. that. Like that's maybe you slow. get on six, that's, you know, maybe you'd get on six boulders and then also, not to throw a wrench in this little analogy I just made, but also like, I don't even know how I would test your crimp strength if I didn't have some kind of like standardized edge, oh, right, to start out with. So yeah. it's kind of this nice thing that we can use to progressively load you and make progressions and also remove some of the skill element from the process of getting stronger fingers as well. So that's why we like hangboarding. Additionally, I like it because I truly do find that you can get much stronger fingers without having to spend a ton of time on the hangboard. And it can be really effective in that way as well, mm. which is perhaps contrary to what you've heard, or maybe contrary to certain types of hangboard sessions that you've done before. But truly, you can get a lot out of hangboarding without having to do it all the time, which is awesome. So yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell why why we coaches really like hangboards because they're standardized, they're easy to progress, and they remove the skill element from the process of getting stronger. So and yay, you can control it. <laughs> yeah, you can control it. It's not like it's going to change. Well, I don't know what your gym's doing, but most of the time, or, or maybe your gym's really crowded and they have like seven different hangboards and you're like, hope the tension grindstones opened it. Nope. Okay. We're going to use this other, <laughs> which can sometimes happen, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I I found in my I guess hangboarding career <laughs> I I've tried several different hangboards and we don't have to get into the debate of which one is best but I have found that by having that standardized hangboard and even in your programming for me Lauren I found that just being able to use the same hangboard repeatedly during my training, but also when I do assessments is so helpful because I yeah. can, I can like see the improvement, even that one or two second longer weighted hang. I'm like, Oh, sick. It it's got better. Working. It it's goes. working. Yeah. I know. Also <laughs> climbers, like I know y'all like being able to measure stuff because a lot of climbing super subjective. So Quick caveat before we even get into any all of this, like there is a temptation to associate how hard you could climb, what you could send, all of these things with your metrics. And I will tell you, having stronger fingers is helpful. It's kind of a bread and butter thing that you're going to want to progress towards, but it's not the be all end all. I've heard countless stories of athletes who send their hardest thing after being on the road for a month or something. And they go, they have tested their metrics before and after the send directly, you know, in that, 
you know, before they go out on their trip and after, and their finger strength will have dropped off substantially during their time mm. when they were climbing outside and not really strength training, but they still sent. So it's kind of this thing that we want to bolster throughout our climbing careers and work towards for a variety of reasons, including injury prevention, but it's not the be all end all. And, you know, it's something you want to be aware of, but you don't want it to become this like fatalistic destiny <laughs> determination of, oh, my finger strength dropped. I finger got weaker. <laughs> I won't be able to send anything, right? So just keep that in mind uh, as you go forward. That Metrics are helpful. It's good to know these things, but they are not, your finger strength does not dictate completely how hard you rock climb. It's one factor of many, right? So this That's is a skill sport. Skills matter over brute strength because otherwise wow, say that again wow skills matter <laughs> otherwise obviously i've said this before but otherwise people that you know people that do crossfit or powerlifting or whatever but have no climbing skill could walk into a climbing gym and destroy everyone because they have tons of raw power and strength right but you need skills so that's not how it works but yeah, yeah. that's my well, quick thing <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a, a really important point to make though that you know, it's, it's part of, like you said, your bread and butter where you do have this skill, but also there's a lot of the other things that we can be doing kind of like behind the scenes. And I think that's yeah. what I love about hangboarding. And when I, I mean, I've personally had a lot of success and seen a lot of gains in my climbing with hangboarding. So I, I totally agree that it's, that it's super helpful, but it, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we maybe get a little bit further along, I think one of the maybe barriers of hangboarding that is potentially unexpected is the jargon. Like, <laughs> yeah. What the hell do, what are grips? What are repeaters? You know, what, if I saw that and I was new to climbing, which happened to me once, I was like, I'm like, and like, you don't see a lot of these guides out there. I mean, sure there are books and resources now, but for a lot of us, you know, what the heck do those mean? <laughs> totally. Also, I'm going to, before we get into this, let me just yeah. say that this is, we're in America. And I know that across the world, people have different names for all the different grips. So I'm going to speak American <laughs> today when I talk about this. But okay, let me just go through a few things, a few key terms that you're probably going to want to know as we talk about hangboarding now and in future podcasts. So one we got our grip types, and these are going to sound similar to things you might already know just from climbing context, but in the context of hangboarding, it is nice to know these things. Also, everyone's finger anatomy and length is going to be a little bit different, so when I express what these positions are, note that maybe your fingers will deviate slightly from the, I don't even want to say ideal. They're going to deviate a little bit because everyone's fingers are different, but you know, <laughs> as long as you're getting the general idea, it's fine. So, okay, first... We got our open hand grip, and I'm going to be making the hand positions with with myself, but uh, <laughs> you can't see them, but it's fine. Okay, so open hand, you're going to have your, your pinky might be on for this. It might be off depending on your pinky length. Don't overthink it. If your pinky's off, way she goes. It's fine. So open hand, you're going to have your, basically your like second knuckle down is going to be below your fingertip. So that's kind of that second knuckle is going to be your middle knuckle if you will is going to sort of dictate what the grip type is. So if your knuckle is 
below your top knuckle by your fingertip, that would be an open hand grip. Pretty, pretty simple. This is usually the grip you're going to perhaps revert to if you're getting super pumped, all those things. So that's open hand. Half crimp, I like to think of half crimp as you've got your first and second knuckle. So your fingertip is going to be flat with that second knuckle. And you might find with this one too, your pinky will probably be on. I would aim to have your pinky on, but if you have like a really short pinky, you, you might not have it on there. And also people like to debate all day, like, is it better to have your pinky on? Like all this stuff. I mean, whatever feels good and strong for you is probably the answer because although you can talk about the physiology and all this stuff, if all you've done your whole climbing career is pinky off stuff and you're stronger in that position just because you've used it more. Pinky's pinky up off, climbing. Pinky's up. Pinky's up. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, you're probably going to feel more comfortable pinkies off in that half crimp, but play with it. You know, maybe you realize that you actually can get your pinky on for that flat half crimp grip and it's fine. And then we've got the full cramp grip. So that's where your, that second knuckle is probably going to pop up over your fingertip a little bit. And a lot of athletes will sort of wrap their thumb on top. Full crimp grip gets a lot of, uh, it's a little infamous because everyone's like, ooh, full crimp, going to get you <laughs> injured if you train that. Um, but we'll get, we'll get to that in the injury prevention side of this. But all grip positions are safe. You probably use them all in your climbing. What we want to do is train them so that you're prepared to use them in strenuous situations. Okay, I think other two pieces of jargon that are probably useful for people to know. Caitlin, let me know if you think I'm missing anything. I think, okay, repeaters. So repeater, a repeater type hangboard protocol. And we're going to, like I said, we're probably going to have to dig into like protocols and specifics in part two. But repeaters are going to be a like rapid fire set. So a popular form of repeaters you might have seen in the rock climbers training manual that's seven seconds on three seconds off and you might do that four times in a row so for that one set would be seven seconds on three seconds off seven seconds on three seconds off whatever right so you're gonna do that multiple times in a row you're gonna repeat it uh, <laughs> whoa. weird whoa okay <laughs> so that's kind of your and if you if you hear me say higher volume hangboard protocol that's gonna be doing this sort of high higher volume more hanging and then you're like higher volume versus what lauren okay well i'll tell you now thanks muppet so <laughs> what is wrong with me we shouldn't be allowed to record in the mornings i don't know i thought i'd be less loopy but no wrong here we um, are <laughs> here we are okay so a a more intense so this is what i would maybe refer to also there's a lot of shades in between here so don't get this idea that there's only two hangboard protocols because there's so many hangboard protocols that you all on instagram are <laughs> Oh God, I know that's going to be the episode title. Jesus Christ. Um, I know it. I heard it and I know it. Josh, write that down. Hey, Josh. Good morning, Josh. Our producer, Josh, is also here. You guys are probably like, what? Tell me the other hangboard protocol. Okay, I'll tell you. Stop keeping this from me. Stop keeping it from me. Okay, so another protocol that's pretty popular or commonly referred to is going to be a maximal hanging protocol. And so... I'll talk about them in a couple of different ways. I'm probably going to say like max hangs, but when I say max hangs, it might mean one of two different things. One, it's going to be adding weight to a relatively larger edge. When I say relatively larger, I would put that in the like 15 millimeter to 25 millimeter category. Um, So that's going to be adding weight to your hangs and doing a lower volume. So you're going to do probably in the realm of five to 10 seconds, rest a few minutes, 
and then go again and do a limited number of high intensity hangs. So that's what I'll mean when I say high intensity. Another form of high intensity hanging could be that you do smaller edges. So it'll be your minimum edge depth. And this is kind of hearkening to Dr. Ava Lopez research papers where she has researched max added weight protocols and minimum edge depth protocols. So either one's going to be pretty hard and you would not be able to do a repeater at these intensities, but with a minimum edge depth protocol, maybe you'd be using like your smallest edge possible. And for you, depending on where you're at in your hangboarding process and in your climbing career, your smallest edge could be 30 millimeters or 25 millimeters. So if I'm saying any millimeters, you're like, that is not the edge I'm working with, then just Keep that in mind, but your, but well, conversely, your minimum edge depth that you can handle for like 10 ish seconds might be more like, you know, 10 millimeters, 15 millimeters. It really depends. But either way, you got your high intensity protocols where you're either hanging with some weight added or you are hanging with the smallest edge possible. You're doing an intense set and then you're going to rest a little bit on the order of at least 60 seconds probably and then go again. So we've got repeaters, our high volume protocol, and then we've got max hangs, our high intensity protocol. So if you hear me say any of those things, that's generally what I'm talking about. Like I said, lots of shades in between, but I want you to sort of have those two base camps of hangboard protocols as we get into this. Caitlin, am I missing anything? Any terms that I might be tossing around? I mean, I don't think so. Not not from what I've seen, but I am kind of curious. I mean, it's a little bit of a, kind of goes back to like, maybe the skill of hangboarding, but would you ever program high volume and high intensity hangboard sessions on the same day? Or is that kind of a no-no? I would say it really is going to depend on the athlete. When I think about it, and I love playing devil's advocate and being like, in a (laughs) weird situation, would I do both of these things? I might program them within the same cycle. It also could, it could really depend. For example, let's say you're I have an athlete right now who has an ankle injury, so he can't climb. He's able to climb, but he can't climb that much. So we're doing Mm. like a lot of hangboarding because he's also trying to get ready for 24 hours of horseshoe hell. So we're kind of doing a lot of stuff. (laughs) So maybe I'm not doing that for him right now with max hanging or whatever, but I could see like certain situations where maybe we want to like load the fingers more because our climbing is decreased for injury or life reasons, whatever. Yeah. But I feel like generally speaking, if I was going to do something like that, I probably wouldn't program. So that would be kind of called a complex. I probably wouldn't program those two things together. Okay, I'm trying to rack. I probably do them in two separate sessions. If we were going to mix protocols like that, like mm-hmm. I'd be like one day a week, you're going to do max hangs and another day of the week, you're going to do repeaters. But that's the other thing too, this kind of gets to a good point. There are a lot of ways to slice this. <laughs> There's no yeah. like one perfect protocol. If you're planning on having a long climbing career, you're gonna need to switch things up. So it's not like one's better than the other. It's like all of these different protocols and ways of leveraging edge size or adding weight or doing repeaters or doing max hangs. You're gonna want to switch shit up because your body will eventually get used to one stimulus and you're gonna have to progress it. So that's a yeah. good question, Caitlin. Well I <laughs> I have more. <laughs> this oh, is basically okay. for me to ask Lauren questions. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Instagram had a shit ton of questions, so this is yeah. related. I promise. Cool. Okay. <laughs> uh, so when I this was very early in my climbing career, I think I had only been climbing for like six months, and I fell off the top of a boulder and broke my ankle. Mm. So I I started hangboarding for the very first time at this point, and I think yeah. I'd maybe dabbled before, but. 
what I think at the time I I was doing the same hangboard protocol three days a week. And I don't think it really changed except maybe like I went up in volume towards the end. Okay. I don't think I ever really added weight. But do you think that it it's a detriment? I know you mentioned like you need to increase the stimulus, but do you think it's a, detri- a detriment to kind of do the same hangboard protocol all the time or, uh, you know? <laughs> in short, no. Yeah, that's the thing too. So – Oh, yeah. No, this is a big question. And it's kind of (laughs) going to depend on how fast you're adapting. But typically, Mm. so strength takes time to build, right? To build Mm -hmm. these adaptations, we need time. I can't see a huge reason to not stick with a protocol for like at least six sessions, whether that's one session a week for six weeks or, you know, whatever it may be, at least and also everyone's going to like write this down like it's freaking law. But I would say like for no most of my here. athletes, like no <laughs> laws here. We usually will stick with similar stuff for, you know, six weeks. But it's kind of like you can stick with a similar protocol for a pretty long period of time. But then and when I say long period of time, I would say like two to three months, maybe even longer if you've never really hang okay. and you're still getting something out of whatever yeah. it is you're doing. But there needs to be like progression built in, right? So it's kind of like mm. you might have a max hanging protocol, but if you're 10 weeks in and you have not changed the weight, you have not reassessed what you're doing, you haven't added volume, you haven't progressed anything, like you're kind of missing out on gains in that way. So it's kind of like you need to have a game plan for progressing in some way, whether you that's a gain plan, a gain plan. Yes, <laughs> precisely. So it's kind of like you can stick with the same protocol. But <laughs> Josh, is, Josh is giving us a thumbs down, boo. Whatever, Josh, you knew what you were signing up for. But yeah, so like you need to be progressing in some way, whether okay. that's volume or whatever, because yeah, if you're sticking with like the exact same weight, doing all the exact same things every time that you, you might be missing out on. Okay. Progression there. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe I I have one last question, maybe before our break. And okay. This, I think this maybe is a good segue into one of the listener questions, which is how do you actually know when it's time to start with a hangboard protocol? Ooh. Okay. Yes. I love this question. So, Natural Way or the power company made this like awesome flowchart. It's super long. If you go, I think it's on the power company Instagram somewhere. So go, go look for it. I'm not going to hunt it because I have it in my head, but in any case, <laughs> it's, it's an awesome flowchart. So, and I love this. So I would say it's the first part of the flowchart for me when I'm like looking at an athlete is first of all, have you even been climbing consistently for six months, like in any capacity? When I say consistently, I mean anywhere from one to three times a week over six months, I would say is a good place to start. Is this a perfect analogy? No, maybe you did some finger intensive sport and you're like ready early. But I would say at the beginning of your climbing career, just allocating that time to climbing. And also, to be honest, you can just get so much out of going rock climbing that it's kind of you're plenty of time in your climbing career to have a bad time on the hangboard later. So start with that. Have you even been climbing for, you know, any amount of time? exceptions to this I would say is you know if you really can only get to the gym one time a week and you're super serious and maybe you already have coming in with some strength but like that's that's a wide exception like start there start with are we climbing three times a week get there first before you even begin to worry about this so first thing second thing if you're already doing that you're like got that base covered we're good okay check done check next 
are you even getting on hard boulders? Hard for you boulders. Because a lot of athletes, not to be like a mind reader or anything, but I've coached enough people now that I can typically predict if someone says, I hate getting on crimpy boulders, and then I have them do an assessment, I I hear that and I'm like, I bet your finger strength numbers are low. (laughs) relative to like maybe what you're doing (laughs) you know whatever and then I'm usually right because right so if you've ever been like I hate crimpy boulders and maybe it's because whenever you've done a lot of crimping or whatever it is your fingers start to hurt it's just kind of this loop of like I don't like crimpy boulders they make my fingers hurt and hurt my feelings I continue to avoid them I never (laughs) get stronger fingers (laughs) mostly the feelings (laughs) part um right so and also we are two tiny fingered ladies talking about this. We love crimps. It's our time to shine. Fat pinches can get fucked, right? So like, yeah. you know, we're I, having a bad time. Whenever I see one of those on a climb, I'm like, why does someone hate me? This is a personal I'm like, attack. I'm like, I'm being attacked. I can't hold a basketball. You should have seen this. This is bad. So Literally world's smallest hands. So. Yeah, exactly. So we love crimps. They make us happy. But I get it. It's fine. We all have Make me things. look cool. Make me look cool. I make it so I can climb like a full grade harder. It's fine. So <laughs> in any case, so if you if that's you and you're like, oh, I'm being attacked right now, you probably could. And if you really do avoid getting on crimpy boulders, you probably and you don't boulder at all right now. Just add a little bit of crimpy bouldering into your regimen for like a couple of months. Maybe you could even test. Just test something on the hangboard. See which edge you can hold. You know, find the smallest edge you can hold for 10 seconds. Try just bouldering, actually going bouldering on crimpy boulders for like once or twice a week for a month and see if that makes your, you know, maybe a little bit longer because it does take time and that's not really the most controlled stimulus. But you might find that just climbing on crimpy stuff after not climbing on crimpy stuff for a long time and actually doing some hard bouldering will develop your finger strength without you having to like mess with a hangboard too much. Not saying that you couldn't add it, but I also think doing a little bit of that to start off. Also, everyone should be bouldering. Always be ABB. Always be bouldering. Even if you're a sport <laughs> climber. I'm primarily a sport climber and like 90% of what I do is bouldering. So always I have be an bouldering. anecdote for you real yes. quick, Lauren. Okay, I'm ready. Um, <laughs> So Lauren has kindly but forcibly increased my sport climbing routine in my training. And do you want to know what I've observed? We have evidence. (laughs) Episode 10, go listen. Go on. Uh, So I'm primarily a boulderer, if you don't all know this already. And Lauren has me sport climbing in preparation for our lander trip. And do you want to know what my bouldering has improved (laughs) so much now that I've been sport climbing. I'm pissed. This is bullshit, Lauren. Oh my gosh. No, I love this. Please elaborate. (laughs) So we've been going to our local, well, we have a, a gym about an hour away that has bigger walls and we've been exclusively sport climbing there and leading and just like getting on really pumpy routes. And when I returned back to bouldering, at our closer gym to us, I was like, wow, I'm sending everything here. And someone need endurance. (sighs) (laughs) I really did. (laughs) But I feel like actually stronger. Like I'm, I don't know if I'm like building some bicep strength, like trying to clip in (laughs) to drops or something. Oh my God. But I'm pissed. This is 
I literally am like, I, this is not the first time I've ever sport climbed, but I, I see the direct impact and I'm like, okay, so yeah, could have been doing this a long time been, ago. <laughs> I mean, it could, I mean, we also are training you with like strength and power as well, but it also could just be like you're building your like base of aerobic capacity and you have a little more endurance and you can do the things. So yep. hear that boulders. It's good to do multiple things. And there really is crossover between bouldering and sport climbing for obvious there reasons. There is. Switching channel <sighs> is the wise thing to do. But yeah, so that's kind of, okay. So to get back to sort of answering like, when's it a good time to start hangboarding? I would say you've been climbing for six months, you already do some hard bouldering and you just find that you're like feeling sort of like plateaued out. And you also, I would say a lot of, like most of my athletes use a hangboard in some capacity with some exceptions, depending on if someone's like pretty new or if we just don't have one or if that's just not what we're doing right now. You don't have to be doing it all the time, but if you're like, I've been climbing for two or three years, I definitely do some hard bouldering and I'm just feeling a little bit stagnant and you want to add a little bit of hangboarding. You like, seriously, y'all, when I say you can do a little bit of hangboarding, like you could dedicate 10 minutes of your life a week straight up. To just getting on a hangboard so it's if you're the climbers like, workout it's, it's perfect the, i know i'm like rock climbing is the best sport you just make all your workouts <laughs> a little bit harder but it doesn't mean that you have to train like six days a week once you get better at it it's genuinely the best and also lots of sitting climbing excellent sport so much sitting Big but fan. yeah like so if you're like that's me i don't want to spend my life on the hangboard but i could add a little bit of it to my life yeah like that's it's probably time especially being climbing for like two three years and you're just not seeing the gains that you want to see um and yeah Real quick, could you clarify too? Because I know for me, I, I've of course trained crimps on hangboards, but can mm-hmm. you also get stronger and train other hand positions and other types of holds with a hangboard? Yes, it kind of depends. I would say the uh, Rock Prodigy board from the Rock Climbers Training Manual, it has some pinches on it and those are gnarly to hold. So I would say if you're going to mm-hmm. train pinches, like pinch blocks are usually better but yeah there's all kinds of hangboards that have different grip types like usually my general stance on it is start simple and add complexity as you need it so typically just as a quick aside it's never a quick aside with me but like (laughs) usually what I'll do it's kind of like the half crimp is our sort of bread and butter hold just because it's very strong it's great love a half crimp and then maybe if we're preparing for a certain objective we'll spend if it's a 12-week training cycle perhaps we spend eight weeks on half crimp and then maybe in the last four weeks or so we'll pepper in a more specific grip type or something like that or maybe even training half crimp for a long time and it's time to switch it up and do something else so it really depends on the athlete and what our goals are but I would say I've been using a hangboard for probably at least five-ish years and I I would say 80% of the time with myself I'll spend in more just the general like half crimp sort of area of life and then maybe 20% of the time probably even less I will be delving into more specific grip types like pinches or pockets or things that are specific to what I'm doing but honestly if you're preparing for certain things or you want to get better at a certain style or a certain grip type my policy is kind of like well let's climb on that grip type more first in an intentional way before we dive into the specificity of using certain grip types on a hangboard not that you can't and not that it's bad and not that it's not effective but I just prefer it that way for simplicity's sake so there you have it cool well shall we take a break yeah let's let's do it all right well 
we have kind of a spooky story to tell you. And believe it or not, it starts at Lauren's bachelorette party. <laughs> yep. Accurate. I'm like, my palms are sweating talking about this. I've kind of just like, I'm put actually this out nervous of my mind. too. Yeah. I'm like nervous that whatever entity was there will come hunt us down and find us because, well, well, let's, let's set the stage. So we were all, I think there were maybe six of us who yep. decided to stay in one stormy night in Portland. Yeah. And it actually was stormy. It was raining a lot. So accurate. Stormy might yeah. be a strong word. This is a pretty <laughs> story. True. True. It, it was raining, which has its own vibe, but. So we were all just sitting around and talking and laughing and having a fun time. And the TV was off, but we heard, we heard a noise. And what, what proceeded to happen afterwards was kind of strange. Lauren, do you want to Yeah, I'll do the, I'll do the noise. So, you know, like the AMS, like <laughs> it was like an Alexa voice, right? It was like a automated voice. But so basically something makes this noise and it goes for my and then it gets interrupted by a child's laughter over the speakers not cool yeah so it it happens we we all looked at each other and we were like hmm didn't like that that (laughs) and then a minute later it does the same like for my and we're all like, okay. And, yeah. and remember, the TV is off. Nothing is on. Like, it's not as if, if there's we like said, the hey, blue Alexa. light on it that like it's plugged in, but it's not, you know. And there was there was a like automated, you know, it was like one of those ring systems or something that would be like front door is open. That was in the house, but like nothing was opening. It also usually when it would be like front door is open, it'd be the front door was opening and there were like words associated it was so strange yeah Um, but it happened two more times after that so i we were all kind of like okay i would like to leave immediately so yeah it also would like wait (laughs) like when i think about it i felt like it also would wait until we like stopped talking about it and like tried to move on to be like no no fuck you yeah no no fuck you i'm an entity (gasps) you are mine i want to deal with it yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so we eventually unplugged the TV because I was like, I can't handle this. This is very creepy. Like we were all very wigged out. And then uh, it stopped happening. So either that means that the entity was not strong enough to operate without electricity or it just means that the TV was doing something weird. But it was strange. I didn't love it. I like talking about ghosts and reading about ghosts a lot more than experiencing them. Shout out yeah, Ghost I don't Hunters near. or Wild Bunch. I will not be doing that. I like to observe Absolutely not. Can't it's even like watch the TV shows. Like, you have fun up there. I'll be reading about it. Good for you. Um, <laughs> ghosts are real, so that's that was ghosts, our proof. can't believe it. it happened ghosts. to both of us in the same room. Yeah, we so. have four other witnesses. <laughs> it was so weird. Oh, and then obviously, I after I left and I was like, okay, I can deal with this now, I tried to like dig into the history of the house. I couldn't find much because everything that would give me records was like, and for a hundred dollars a month, you can have all the records. And I was like, I don't want to know that bad. If anyone wants to Venmo me a hundred dollars, I'll go figure it out though. But, <laughs> it, but it was kind of a creepy house too. It was so. a little, it was a cute, like we covered it in balloons creepy. and stuff. It was, but it, it, I mean, it was, it was built in 1890. Um, so I learned that 
And yeah, <laughs> it was old and weird stuff was happening. And there's a child spirit in there. We don't know that for sure, but we do. But it was four stories. And, and of course, that night or the next night, people, a few people left. So Lauren and I were both left to our own devices in our own rooms. We we're like, no, no, we're, yeah, we're, like, You're we're coming bed buddies up now. Stairs now. Why <laughs> not sleeping alone? Absolutely not. So I didn't tell our Airbnb host. Cause I don't know how you like leave a review and you're like, I think it's haunted without sounding really unhinged. So I didn't do that. And I also don't know if my feedback would be helpful, but I, I just did it. Cause I, or they'd don't. be like, Oh no, we saged the house last week. I wonder what happened. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well resage, this should be part of the standard cleaning operations. What a mess. So I also don't want to lose my review. I have a really good review on Airbnb because my friends and me keep shit clean. Um, but yeah, so that's what happened. <laughs> hated it that's that thought, thought we'd tell you because yeah we, very this important is a ghost podcast oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we get should we get back to it caitlin back to what the yeah, people let's... wanted to hear about hope hope you're scared now just a little hangboard <laughs> will seem light and fluffy compared compared to ghosts so yeah, let's get back to that fluff And we are back. Yeah, not, I mean, hopefully you're not spooked out too much for this. Yeah, this is about to sound chill (laughs) compared to what we just talked about. So, uh. all right. Well, let's get to the fluffy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's do it. So I know we, we last left off talking about jargon and also how you decide when it's time to start people on a hangboarding protocol or at least giving direction for people when when it might be time in their own climbing to start something like that. But we didn't really talk about ways that you can start. So I know we're not going to get into this too much today, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on your favorite ways as a climbing coach to actually get people started with hangboarding. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to talk to you about two different two different protocols I like, and there's kind of two tiers here. So if you're, so let's talk about the first one. Also, I'm going to link to some of this in the show notes. Josh, write this down. Also quick PSA. Sometimes when we record these things, we say, I'm going to put this in the show notes. And then we don't put the episode out until four months later. And none of us remember anything that we fucking said. So if there's ever something missing in the show notes, send us an email. We will fix it. We are imperfect humans. We do what we can. But we we got a lot of stuff running around. So in any case, but I will eventually put these in the damn show notes. Sorry. We do our best. Um, Okay. So, but anyways, two different protocols that, uh, two different kind of like camps that I sort of start people in. So if you have like never hangboarded before, and maybe you're the athlete where hanging on. So kind of what I want you to test to sort of delineate yourself here. I want you to figure out what is the smallest edge you can hang on with body weight for about 10 seconds and maybe hopefully your gym has a wide array of edge sizes but basically if you can hang like 20 if 20 seconds body weight feels pretty easy to you I would say you can kind of go with option b that I'll begin discussing if 20 mil or 10 seconds on a 20 millimeter edge with body weight is like not even a thing right now and you're like nope I'm on like 35 millimeter edge, 30 millimeter edge for five to 10 seconds with body weight at the moment. Like 
start with this protocol. So not to, I, there's a lot of shades in between and it's not like this is good and this is bad, but I'm just trying to give you a starting point, generally speaking, so that when I'm telling you which protocols make more sense, you have like a benchmark to sort of go off of because there's one of me and thousands of you and I cannot (laughs) give perfect advice for each one of you. So doing what I can. (laughs) But if you're in the camp of like, yeah, like 20, 20 millimeter edge, not happening for me right now. Sweet. Here's the protocol that I really like. It's called the Go30 protocol. Uh, shout out Steve Bechtel and Climbstrong, where I read this protocol that I like to use and I still use to this day. Um, so basically, your goal with this protocol is to work down to a smaller edge size. And this is essentially how it works. And like I said, I'm going to link you to an explanation of this in the show notes. So if that your eyes cross hearing about seconds and edges and blah, 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 you can just read it because it's probably a better format. But in any case, <laughs> you're going to go, you're going to hang for a total of 30 seconds. And it's going to work like this. You're going to get on the largest edge that you can. Maybe that's a 35 millimeter edge. Maybe it's a 40. Maybe it's the jug at the top of the hangboard or the you just hanging on a pull-up bar in like an open position, whatever it may be. Um, but start with something big that you can actually do. You're going to hang for five seconds, rest for 25 seconds, jump right back on, hang for 10 seconds, rest for 20 seconds, jump right back on, hang for 15 seconds, rest for 15 seconds, start right again at the top, hang for five seconds. So go 30, hanging for a total of 30 seconds. And each of those intervals adds up to 30 seconds. And then you're kind of just going to repeat that three times in a row without resting. And why I like, so this would sort of fall into the like higher volume protocol sort of area, but you're hanging on such a, you're going to be probably hanging on such a large edge size that it's going to be sustainable for you. And it's just a good way. Like if you've never really used a hangboard to just build your capacity for hangboarding there. And then basically your goal throughout that is to work down to a larger edge size. So maybe the first couple of sessions, you're using that pull-up bar, that jug. And then maybe by session three, you are working down to, you know, like 35 or the 30 millimeter edge. And then you just kind of gradually work down edge sizes from there. So I think this can be a good place to start if you've never, ever used a hangboard. And I like this protocol. And that's typically where I'll start people if they've like not been on a hangboard in a really long time, or if they're like totally, totally new to it and hanging on like a 20 or a 25 is not quite feasible yet. And this can be really quick too, right? So, you know, you might be like, well, if that's like where you're at, then why not just like rock climb? And like I said, start with hard bouldering. But if you're at the place where you're like, I've been doing bouldering, I've been getting on grippy boulders, but I still want to move things a little bit further, then go here, right? Um, Okay, makes sense. Caitlin, do you have any questions? Well, all I want to say is that when I first started training with you, this was one of the first hangboarding protocols you gave me. Oh, that's right. And I loved it so much. It was so fun. It just was like, okay, in, out, done. I'm amazing. Good job, self. You showed up today. Like it was was such a good protocol because it hadn't been a long time since I'd trained, but it had been a long time since I'd done something more, I guess, like systematic with the hangboard. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that I could just focus up, do it for, you know, a little bit. And then that was it. It was lovely. 10 out of 10. Love that. Love that. Excellent review of that protocol. Yeah. And then we switch. Okay. This is perfect. Cause then obviously we've converted you to more like the higher intensity protocol, which is what I'll talk about now. So let's say you've just been kind of like avoiding the hangboard, but then you go to like tests and like 
20 millimeter edge, you're like, that was very chill. I could probably add weight. 15 millimeter edge feels fine. You're like, that was chill. I could probably add weight, like all that. Okay, then if that's you, maybe listen to sort of this side of the equation. So another way, another couple of ways I really like to program hangboarding, kind of going to put you into the like high intensity hanging protocol here. And so I highly recommend shout out our, I guess, brother, sister podcast on the Plug Tone Network, Breaking Beta. If you listen to in season one, they have two episodes about hangboarding. I believe it's the first episode, episode one and episode 10 are Mm -hmm. about Dr. Ava Lopez hangboard research papers. So if you want to like fully nerd out and dive into those, I'm like, I could do a review of these research papers, but it's already been done so well that that makes no sense. So go listen to those. They're really good episodes. (laughs) They're really good episodes. And you'll just kind of like learn the context of this. But anyways, I really like a max hanging or a max added weight type protocol. If you can add a little bit of weight or if that 20 million, you know, the high, we're going to just blanket statement, high intensity protocol. This is in a very short nutshell, we're going to dig into like all the things in the next episode. But basically, you're going to do three, three to five sets of a 10 second hang at 80 ish percent of your max added weight. So I'm going to say 80 ish and because we're going to talk a little bit about injury prevention and auto regulation next, but you're going to do not your full max. So we are not going to failure, but you're going to do something that feels like generally speaking, Eight, eight out of 10 hard. Like I said, I'll like link to some things in the show notes that'll break all of this down. But basically you're going to do something that's in that 80% of your max sort of range. So if that means that you can hang on a 15 millimeter edge for 12 seconds, you know, do a 10 second hang on a 15 millimeter edge. And that would sort of be like minimum edge protocol. Or you could do max added weight where it's like, okay, if you can add 10 pounds to... If you can add 10 pounds to a 20 millimeter edge and hang for 10 seconds, great. Hang with seven or eight pounds, generally speaking, for your sets. So you're going to hang for about 10 seconds, rest for anywhere from three to five minutes. I really like to mix hangboarding with lifting just because if you're going to do a max hanging protocol and you're going to stand around uh, not doing anything, you might as well get a lift in there and then go back to the hangboard. So that's kind of a general scope of what I would do with someone who is newer to it. Another pro or who is, you know, got the got that sort of like 20 20 millimeter edge feels doable sort of background another protocol i really like is the 753 i'm saying i'm air quoting this (laughs) repeater so this is seven seconds on 53 seconds off and i like this because it's quick and that 53 second rest in your repeater is going to be typically speaking plenty of time to recover and then it's something you can do within your climbing session that is going to be effective. So like I said, we're going to dig more into this in the next episode, but I just kind of wanted to give those two sort of camps of where to start. So Caitlin, any questions, I love that. thoughts about that? Cool. No, I think that those are really great and important places to start. And I think it also, anybody could do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. I like Absolutely. to take the average here. So <laughs> yes. Perfect. Well, so should we get into something that is also associated with hangboarding that is still nonetheless important, which is injury prevention? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. And Caitlin also has some nutritional things to discuss with this too. But okay. One of the biggest arguments that I hear when people start talking about hangboarding is that they're like, won't I get injured if I start doing this? Like, isn't this how I get injured? And I have two things to say that. One, there are a ton of factors that come with how injuries occur. So I would say, and I'm 
just giving this information anecdotally, but I would say oftentimes when people get injured after they start hangboarding, it's for a couple of reasons. One, it's because they started it with a protocol that is too much and too soon for what they're actually capable of. So they are overdosed and overloaded and they're doing too much and you're probably going to failure on some of your hangs and it's just too much. And I would generally associate that with doing higher volume hanging protocols. So keep that in mind. And then the second thing is you might start hangboarding and also at the same time, you might be ramping up something else, you know, right? Like it's like, oh, maybe you started hangboarding and because you're on this like training kick, you start adding in more climbing and more volume and all this stuff. So it's kind of this compounding effect of adding a bunch of new volume, adding a new protocol. And then because you're ramping up what you're doing too quickly for what your body can handle and not taking account into account the volume of other climbing activities that maybe you're changing, adding or not, you know, perhaps reducing a little bit as you get used to the hangboard. That is how injuries occur. It's not because of the hangboard. It's likely because of the intensity and total training volume that you are doing. And it also could be related to other factors like how much sleep you're getting, life stress, all these things, right? So it's not the hangboard. It's, you know, the dose makes the poison, right? If you overdo it, it could result in injury. But if you do it right, it's going to strengthen your fingers and help prevent injury. So that's my yeah. piece on that. <laughs> I think it's good to uh, just make the note of like, don't blame the hangboard. Yeah. Yeah. I guess totally to tack on to what Lauren said too about, you know, that's a lot of other factors. And if even if you say, for example, you have like a really bad hangboarding session or even a bad climbing session, it's really good to reflect on what happened leading up to that session. Did you sleep like shit? Are you really stressed? And you showed up and you feel terrible? Have you not eaten for four or more hours? You know, there's so many things at play there. So don't blame the poor little hangboard. He's just there to help you. <laughs> I know. Sweet. Okay. Should I? I'll go ahead. Let me talk quickly about auto regulation. Who? 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 Which is <laughs> a fancy word that honestly, when I first started hearing it, when I was like learning about this concept way, way back before I was a coach, it used to make my eyes bleed. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know. I just really, I hated it, even though it's a fine word. But in any case, I just thought it made things sound weird. (laughs) Fine word, but it made things sound like too complicated for what I felt the concept represented. So (laughs) autoregulation is basically just this idea of having methods for doing the amount of training that your body is ready for that day. And that might sound easy. It's like, oh, well, I always only go with what my body's ready for that day. I just go until I can't or whatever. But this is sort of a more organized approach to how can I do what my body is actually prepared for in a way that's a little bit more mindful than just kind of eyeballing it, right? So there's a lot of methods for this. And this is sort of a concept that I wouldn't say it's borrowed from weightlifting, but it is a concept that is rampant across all of personal training because it's an important thing to understand. But I really, one of the auto-regulation methods I want to discuss in regards to hangboarding is RPE or rate of perceived exertion. And Caitlin, I've been having you use RPE a little bit in your last training cycle or in this training cycle. And like, how are you liking that overall? I actually really love it. I think it's a good protocol because I might try and push myself and Mm -hmm. then there are other days that I might decide "Mm, 
actually, I don't want to do this at all. So if I have this as a focus area and I'm not necessarily trying to push my absolute upper limit, but I'm also not trying to back out of it, I think it's a good middle ground that I can comfortably just agree to at the end of a long work day. (laughs) Yes, I think that's great. And I totally agree because as a, so part of the reason I hated the concept of auto-regulation when I first heard it is that basically the idea is you're going to maybe modulate your sessions based on your readiness to train. And I'm super type A. So the idea of like having a plan and then changing it at the last minute was like, oh my God, that is abhorrent. We cannot do that. (laughs) Um, But actually, like our bodies don't know about our type A plans. So we need to be able to be flexible with what they're ready for. So having this as a guidepost has been really helpful for me and for a lot of athletes who operate in a similar way. Um, But basically, without further ado, we love RPE. We love programming this way. We love using it. It's great. But here's kind of how it works. So RPE, rate of perceived exertion, is basically how hard did that feel and sort of applying a scale to it. So with hangboarding, uh, I'll just throw out an example. If I tell an athlete, I want you to hang for 10 seconds at an RPE of seven, what that means is that at the end of your hang, I want you to feel like you have two to maybe three seconds left in the tank on that hang. And that's gonna be objective. It's gonna be something you're gonna need to notice in your body. But the cool thing about that, and let's say you're using like a weighted hangs protocol. So maybe one day you're feeling awesome. You've had two rest days, like everything's great. You're super fresh, all these things. Maybe that day you're crushing it and you're going to hang RPE seven feels like body weight plus 25 pounds, right? So that could be one day, a different day. You might be feeling a little more tired. Maybe you're a little bit more fatigued. Maybe you've done more climbing in the last week than you had previously, or you're just exhausted for whatever reason. Our our body, our training goes up and down. It's complicated and it's normal for things to fluctuate. Maybe that day your RPE seven is more like body weight plus 20 pounds for your reps, right? So it's kind of this way of being like knowing that progression is not linear. It's okay to have fluctuations between sessions, but it's good to show up and do what your RPE seven is that day. And just a note on this, like most of the time when I'm working with someone in a training cycle, we start with a lower RPE and longer time frame on high intensity hangs. And as we progress, we will move to higher RPEs for shorter amounts of time. But basically, I have never, ever programmed RPE 10 on a hangboard. I'm never like, yep, go to failure because you can get basically all of the gains you're going to get out of not going to failure. And that little bit of extra is the part that's going to be pushing you over into getting injured and being under recovered territory. So we want to like avoid going typically, I'm not saying all the time, but in, in a high intensity hangboard protocol, typically we're going to avoid going to failure. We're going to have a higher high ish intensity, but we're not, it's not going to be so high that you're like falling off the board or that your form is failing. Yeah. Caitlin, any, did I explain that? Okay. Any, any follow-ups on the RPE auto-regulation discussion? Well, the final thing I want to add to that is just that it's really nice to not feel like you're failing, like you're yeah. not going to failure. Oh, you're literally yeah. just like, hey, okay, this is what I'm capable of today or overall. And you know, you're not ever reaching the point where you feel like, uh, today I'm I'm a failure. So if you're a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist, like I'm trying to be fake it till you make it but (laughs) it's I think it's a good psychological way to train just because you're not 
like even if you're, you know, deadlifting, you've had me do RPE eight. And I find that that's really, really helpful to like disengage that perfectionist mentality because I'm already doing that everywhere else in my day. I I like (laughs) to just get into training to train. (laughs) Yep, Precisely. Yeah. So I think, I think training in terms of auto regulation with RPE is a great way to like get it done, but honor what your body needs. Caitlin, do you have any sort of nutritional inputs on injury prevention uh, when it comes to sort of the specifics of the hangboard discussion? I know a couple of people asked about collagen and maybe if you have time to discuss that, we can, but. Yeah, I sure do. Well, I have three really brief things that I'll talk about in terms of nutrition during hangboarding, because even though it's a really short time point in your training cycle, so if you've been listening for a while, or even if you haven't, you might be aware that uh, i really strongly encourage people to eat a snack before, during, and after training. And this depends on your training type, how long you plan to be there, and the intensity. But with hangboarding, because it can be so slow or also not really be a big big time commitment, it might be kind of like, oh, well, I just don't need to eat before. I can just kind of get into it. But actually, I would say, number one, making sure that you are having a snack before you hangboard 30 minutes to an hour before. This could be something that's rich in carbs and maybe protein. I usually don't recommend fat before a session just because that can take a little bit longer to digest and may just kind of sit in your gut in a way that's uncomfortable. But you could because hangboarding is generally not the same intensity as maybe like a climbing session that you might correct me there, Lauren. Yeah. Well, to put a to put a quick spin on this as well, typically when I program hangboarding sessions, and again, we'll get into this in part two, but typically when I program them, I either include them as part of like a lifting session, which will probably be on the order of 30 to 60 minutes long, or I put them into a climbing True. session. But that being said, I still think that Caitlin's points about you gotta eat before <laughs> make a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, so. this is true. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's especially true if you haven't had a snack or a meal within the last 4 hours. I would definitely have a snack before this hangboarding session and this is if it's on its own, it's a solo workout or especially if it's included in a longer, bigger workout like Lauren said. Yeah. And so that's number 1, having a snack beforehand. Number two is overall just eating enough calories to support your energy output on a day-to-day basis because if you are going into your sessions underfueled, if you're underfueling overall as a whole, your risk of injury prevention does go up. And this is something that can happen fairly quickly because you might make silly mistakes going into your sessions underfueled, your brain isn't as sharp as it could be, or you're just tired and fatigued and your body doesn't have the nutrients it needs to perform the actions. So definitely making sure your overall calories are properly matched to your energy output or even might exceed that energy output. And very lastly, collagen. This is kind of the the big heavy hitter. And I know it's it's a topic that we've also explored quite a bit, but we talked a little bit about this in our in episode eight with Drake and Kimmy, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, okay. we talked about it a lot in there. So that was a really good review of it too, if, if you're interested. But just for the the sake of applying it here, if you want to use collagen as a support tool for uh, soft connective tissue health, 
collagen's a great, great option for that. There's a lot of data on it, high quality studies that do show that it can help prevent and also expedite injuries. It's not to say that it is a good replacement for diet, but if you wanted to have collagen with your pre-workout snack, this is a good time, but some of the research doesn't agree on the optimal timing. So what I would say is if you prefer it in the morning in your coffee, that's a great time. Or if it's better for you to remember to have it before your session, that's also a great time. So you could prioritize it on training days or maybe you have it every single day, but the jury is still out on on sort of the the long term how often you should use it consistently is uh, an asterisk term so yeah that's all I got there but uh, Lauren anything else to add or questions I guess I'll give my like collagen two cents so I personally don't use it just because I don't know I don't use it and I I don't know what (laughs) like I just don't I don't know there's like enough stuff going on I got a literal checklist that says drink water on my fridge so I just am like kind of at a covering bases of like you know collagen's like too fancy totally bad but yeah so I mean I don't use it but if it's something it's not net you definitely don't need to take collagen if you're gonna use a hangboard but if it's something that you want to try I also I don't know if this study exists I do think it would be so interesting if they studied people on hangboard protocols supplementing with collagen versus not to see if it had meaningful impact on strength gains I think that would be really interesting just because you know whatever, but strength training on its own, whether it's, you know, this is the general sort of meta analysis about strength training generally is associated with injury prevention in sport. So hangboarding is really cool from an injury prevention standpoint in that typically in our sport, we aren't just like dangling on our fingertips for 10 seconds. Like usually we have our feet on and all these things. So hangboarding might seem dangerous, but in a lot of ways you're preparing your fingers for loads that they may not always experience when you are climbing. Um, so you're kind of getting over-prepared by using that hangboard. Um, and the other thing is too, if anything feels uncomfortable, the beauty of a hangboard is that you just drop off. Like, like we said in the beginning of the episode, it's a very controlled environment. So this idea that it's unsafe or crazy and out of control, like throwing to your tiny crimps on a boulder problem on the moon board, I would say is objectively less safe than having a controlled environment like a hangboard. And we're going to do both things. Our bodies are super resilient. And so hangboarding is a safe activity when done appropriately and at the right time in your climbing career. I'm sorry, that wasn't really a nutrition comment, but I just felt like I needed to say that. So <laughs> I know, I think that that's really helpful. And What's great is that our next step will be diving a bit more into protocols as well. And I know a lot of you submitted some really great questions about that too. So we'll get into that in part two, but for now, I think... Lauren, I think we're at a good a good stopping point. Anything else you want to add? Yeah. Here? Um. No, I'm just gonna tease what we're gonna talk about on the next episode. So, oh, so many easy. of you asked, <laughs> should I be doing minimum edge or should I be adding weight? Which one's better? When should I do what? Like all those types of things. So we're definitely gonna get into the like what of it all in the next episode and answer that in more detail. And probably, yeah, we're going to use a lot of your questions that you all submitted on Instagram and sort of have a Q&A style and get more into the nitty gritty. But this was a good, this episode was all about setting the foundation and the expectations of sort of the, the need to knows around hangboarding. And then we'll dive into the specifics later. So yeah, with that, I think, I think we can probably wrap it up there. Caitlin, what do you say? Let's do it until next time. Keep it average. 
Lauren here. We hope your thirst for hangboard knowledge has been quenched, at least for now anyway. With that, allow me to close us out with some exciting announcements and our production credits. Tired of the DIY approach to training? Want a custom plan designed just for you? I've got your back. Until tomorrow, July 8th, you can get a deal on both six week and 12 week custom plans. Spots are limited and the sale is almost over. So grab your custom plan while you can. Want to understand how your nutrition, training, and lifestyle play a key role in impacting your hormonal health? Caitlin is collaborating with Emily Smith, the outdoor nutritionist, to bring you Bloom, an intimate eight-week coaching experience to get you from confused to empowered in your hormonal health. This program is for active women and genderqueer individuals and includes eight weeks of group calls and educational content as you navigate a web of factors impacting hormonal health. The experience starts August 15th, but right now you can get $100 off the total investment. Tap the link in our show notes to learn more. And don't forget, you can book a free 15-minute clarity call with Caitlin by tapping the link in our show notes. If you wanted to make changes to your nutrition habits but don't know where to start, it's time to chat with her. The Average Climber podcast is hosted by me, Lauren, and my co-host, Caitlin. You can find us on Instagram at The Average Climber Podcast for antics between episodes and updates on when new episodes are coming out. You can also find me on Instagram at Good Spray Coaching and Caitlin on Instagram at Dirtbag Nutritionist. This show is produced by Josh Hafley with our favorite furry production assistant, Stubby the Corgi. The music for this episode was created by Devin Dabney of the American Climbing Project. Make sure to check out his podcast if you haven't already. You'll laugh, you'll learn, and you will introspect. The Average Climber podcast is a part of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. Head on over to PlugToneAudio.com to learn more about the other great shows on the network. See you next time, and until then, keep it average. Thank you.